You all know I've become obsessed with habit tracking. Have you listened to my How to Build Habits That Stick episode? It's episode 160, and I talk about Operation Glow Up, which is my tracking board right next to my bed. If not, definitely go take a listen. I started tracking my daily movement to hold myself accountable, and to my sweet surprise, I was actually able to average around five workouts a week for the entire month. Anytime I missed a day, I would circle it with a big fat circle and wrote a specific reason why I missed it to see if there were any patterns. Well, in not so shocking news, every time I missed a day was due to being hungover. I'm 31 and hangovers knock me out for a days at a time now. After several rounds of snoozing all day Sunday and being absolutely useless, developing anxiety shakes and a sense of dread whenever the hangover was about to exit my body, I knew I needed to make a change. So I started frantically searching for booze-free cocktails. I was very picky about finding ones that I liked and eventually Curious Elixirs caught my eye. Why? Well, the flavors, the packaging, the branding, and most importantly, the quality ingredients that go into each bottle. That's why I'm so excited to partner with them as an official sponsor of this episode. I loved Curious Number One when I first tried them, and now they have a new addition to the family, Number Seven. Curious Elixir Number Seven is their booze-free champagne cocktail riff on the French 77 and the perfect companion for celebrations large and small. I'm talking spring break, summer weddings, or just a Friday night in. It contains elderflower and lavender to help you unwind and a medley of other high quality factors like no gluten, caffeine-free, organic, no refined sugar, no preservatives, no sulfates or filler, and herbs and adaptogens. I mean, what more could you ask for when trying to replace the booze? I have so many events coming up and I definitely plan to swap out my endless vodka sprites for a pack of Curious Elixirs. You can try them for yourself by heading to the link in my show notes and you'll get $10 off an order of $50 or more by using the code RIFE22. Tell me what you think when you try them. Cheers and stay curious. Everybody, welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. So excited to talk to you today because I'm bringing back business lessons that I've learned in the last two years. Part two, I got such great feedback on part one two weeks ago, and I knew I had more to share. And I was like, you know what? We're just going to do a part two. So I've listed out very important business lessons that I've learned that I think may help you if you are in business or thinking of starting a business. There's just so many things that I did and I'm a very high risk taker. And for me, it's no problem because I feel comfortable taking those risks because I'm like, I'd rather learn fast and be like, Hey, at least I tried and keep moving on. I will say there's also a privilege in taking risks, um, especially financial ones. You know, I have access to capital from my credit card. I could apply for a business loan. I know if I ever needed to come home like I am right now and stay at my parents' house and save some money, I can do that. So I just wanted to add that context that a lot of times when people take high risks, it's because they actually do have a safety net. And I think it's really important to highlight that. So because I've taken a lot of high risks, I've also made a lot of mistakes. And I think those mistakes can be avoided if you tune into this episode. 
Now, if you actually tuned into the first episode, which was just two weeks ago, I talked about how I also let go of one of my biggest income streams, which was one-on-one mindset coaching. One-on-one mindset coaching was basically what I did all of 2020 and 2021. Towards the end of 2021, I I shifted a little bit more into podcast coaching. I was 100% doing podcast coaching. I was doing both things and mindset coaching was really the core of my business, especially with private clients. So if you tuned into that episode, you heard why I let go of that income stream, even though it was my biggest one. And I'll be honest, when you let go of a big income stream, obviously, at least in my experience, my mind goes to what are you doing? Why would you do that? Why would you let go of all that money? You have proof that that works. You have proof that people want to work with you. You have proof that people will pay you that amount of money. Why are you letting that go? And so I definitely had a freak out moment financially where I'm like, was that a horrible idea? Should I be taking on more clients? Like what's going to happen? So I noticed I was feeling this wave of honestly anxiety. And then also just like kind of neutrality too. It's kind of weird. It was like anxiety, but also accepting, you know what? Maybe I will just have to lower my business expenses. Maybe I'm going to have to cut out a few softwares. Maybe I'm going to have to scale back my team's hours. I'll just, you know, eat at home every single day. Like I was just thinking of all the ways I could save money. And then this kind of put me in this mood where I was like, but this isn't why I ever wanted to go in business on my own was to feel like scared and isolated and lonely and not hopeful. So I ended up realizing I need to change my energy around. So I wrote down a whole note to myself of like, what do I actually envision for my life in the next year? And I'm not someone that has like a very, very specific five-year plan or 10-year plan because life unfolds so unexpectedly and sometimes faster than I can imagine. But I do have like a feeling and a vision of what I want. So I just wrote down everything from like the places I want to be, the people I want to be surrounded with, the types of conversations I'll be having, the type of work I'll be doing, the type of vibe I'll be giving off, the type of energy. I wrote everything down and then I made a vision board. I went back to the basics, went on Canva, made a vision board. And this vision board is like, to me, more of a feelings board. I literally put, what did I put on there? Like um, evening strolls in the marina. And I found a picture of a beautiful marina in Europe and just visualized myself walking around there, maybe with a glass of wine, talking to someone about life. Like those are some of my greatest peaceful memories is just being lost in conversation in a beautiful country. So I put a lot of those images on there. I also put a picture of a random couple and it says fun, adventurous travel partner. And they're like eating ice cream in Rome or something. And funny fucking story. (laughs) I went and got a new MacBook over the weekend. I had the same laptop since freshman year of college, which was like 13 years ago. So yeah, I've been using the same laptop for over a decade and it was finally giving up on me. So I was like, I'm going to go get a new MacBook. It's time. I have to do my work. And when they went to go transfer my files, they saw my vision board and it was really funny because it was like this random couple. That's not me. I also had a picture of a girl in a black bikini on a yacht because I was like, you know what? I've been watching a lot of Below Deck. I would love to take my family on a yacht one day. I would love to be in this sleek black bikini. And then the text on that picture said, yachty hottie bikini body. Yeah, the Apple workers saw all of that. 
so <laughs> I was just sitting there like awkwardly like that meme where it's kind of like a puppet and it's like looking to the left and right and I was like pretending that this wasn't glaring at us on the screen literally these huge images with huge text over it with all my goals and desires I was like okay let's hope that they just don't address this I don't really want to have a conversation about it so yeah that was a really interesting funny moment but what was more interesting was what happened literally the day after I created that vision board. I think internally I made a lot of declarations and commitments to myself. And then my brain started seeking out visions and images and people and conversations and things to really align with, with that vision. And I'm not kidding in the last week. So literally I'm, this is the day after I made my vision board and I let go of that one-on-one -on -one income stream. I signed two new one-on-one -on -one podcast coaching clients, which is what I really desired at my new rates. I booked a VIP day, which is not even launched yet, which I'll talk about in a second. I got a scholarship for this huge event I wanted to go to, and I have been dying to go to this event. It's Quantum Con in LA with Holisticism. You guys know I love them. I'm like obsessed with everybody in that membership and that team, and they were running an in-person event. But I'm like, oh, God, that's where scarcity kicked in, where I was like, I don't have the money to be able to get a flight and a hotel and spend money in L.A. and do all these other things I want to do and get the ticket. So I'll just go another time when I have more of a financial stable, financially stable income and see what happens. And then I got this email that I won one of their scholarships. And then I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. But then I'm all the way in Florida. So I was like, God, a flight is going to be a lot because it's the whole other side of the country. And I just got back from Mexico and I'm going to Palm Springs in like three weeks for a wedding. So I was like, I've been spending a lot on travel. And by the way, remember, I have that huge trip coming up called Remote Year, which is going to be taking up a lot of my income. And so my mind was like, oh, you're not going to be able to actually go because of the flight. Well, I checked flights again and I have been checking flights to this conference. And all of a sudden they dropped to like half. My flight from Orlando to LA is $200. I've never seen that. They're always like $500. So found a cheap flight. I made three podcast appearances. I think after literally every single one of those, someone either inquired to work with me or actually did work with me. One of them did turn into a VIP day. I booked two guest speaking spots inside a program. And honestly, the biggest change was my energy. I actually started to feel optimistic and hopeful and inspired again. And this was from a late night in my room, just typing up what I wanted to feel, putting some visuals to match that, and then everything changed. Little uh, lesson is it does not take thousands of dollars, hours of time, constant healing and self-reflection to quickly change your energy. Maybe all you need to do is journal and brain dump what you desire make a beautiful mood board, vision board, execution board, whatever you want to call it and see what happens. And I know it sounds glib. Like when I listen to podcasts, sometimes I'm like, fuck off. You know what I mean? I'm just like, they don't get it. Like they don't get the grief I'm going through or the heartbreak or the sadness. Like I'm not going to go, uh, you know, look in the mirror and tell myself I love myself. I'm not going to go on a walk on the beach with a journal. Like no, I'm going to go spend thousands of dollars on healing and therapy and crying, which look, sometimes that is the answer. And that's why when I'm telling you this story right now, I don't want it to come off as glib and like, all you have to do is make a vision board and your life will change. That's definitely not what I'm saying, but it could shift a lot for you. And I just wanted to share my experience in case you were feeling a bit in a rut. Maybe you could do the same thing and it might help you.
Also, if you just heard me talk about VIP day and you're like, wait, what the fuck is she talking about? I am soft launching these right now. So what it is, it's a dedicated day to laser focus on one or two topics maximum. Like, for example, monetizing your podcast, interviewing, pitching guests or yourself or pitching brands. And this is really amazing for anyone who either doesn't need full six month ongoing coaching or maybe you like more instant results and instant learning and you like to just apply things quickly and move on, or you know you need assistance with specifically just one or two things. This is also great if six-month coaching isn't in the cards for you financially, or you know you're not ready for full-on six-month coaching yet, but you do know you're ready to work on one to two things. A VIP day would be amazing for you. Or if you understand Parkinson's law and how work expands to fill the time you allot to it, this would work really great for you too. So Parkinson's law is basically like, if I have six months to complete a project, I'll probably wait till the week before that six month deadline and get it done because I had six months and I just wanted to expand the time to fill that six months. But if you told me, hey, you only have two weeks to complete this project, I'll probably get it done in two weeks. So this is why VIP days were also created for people that want those quicker results and actually work well with that type of motivation. That's actually how I work really well. This would work for you. So if you learn in a more like fast paced, quick hit kind of way, a VIP day would be awesome for you. So what they are, are four hours with me. That's a lot of time. A master Notion template full of resources and checklists. If you're not familiar with Notion, it's like Google Docs meets Dropbox meets Asana meets like 20 other things all in one. I am working on this incredible master notion document full of resources and templates and checklists. And anybody who is a one-on-one client or a VIP day client is going to get access to this specific document. So four hours together, the notion document, a custom strategy plan, a recording of the session, and then any materials we work on together during that time. Like let's say we come up with a pitch template or a contact list of guests. You keep all of that with you. So it's just a one and done deal. And if you need more support, you can upgrade to have Voxer access, which is voice note and text access for two weeks, or we can book another VIP day or discuss long-term coaching. Since this is the first time I'm running them, I'm only holding space for three spots right now, and they're going to run over May and June. My big trip kicks off in July, and I really want to find my footing when I get over there. So these, again, are going to be run over May and June. And because it's the first time they're rolling out, I'm offering them at a super discounted beta price of $1,500. So if you're interested, it's actually not up on my site yet. I am building the page, but you can DM me at Chelsea Wright for more information or email me info at chelseawright.com. So again, if you're interested in a VIP day where we hone in on one to two skills and you want to work together in May or June, hit me up on Instagram at Chelsea Ripe or info at chelseawright.com and we'll chat and get you booked in. All right. Well, let's get into this week's episode about more business lessons I've learned since starting two years ago. The first one, and I intentionally made this the first one, is tracking your finances and knowing what to put aside for taxes, for paying yourself, and for your business expenses. This absolutely tops the charts for... This absolutely tops the charts for what I think is one of the most important things to understand as a business owner. It is a nightmare trying to block off a week 
before taxes are due, frantically going through all of your numbers, trying to understand if you put something on a credit card or was it in cash or was it on PayPal credit or did you borrow money from someone? Did someone send you international currency? Like, especially if you started your business abroad like I did, you do not want to work on the the premise of, oh, I'll just get to it, you know, a few weeks before taxes are due. No, no, no. Get a business bank account. I use a business checking account because for me, I know how I am with credit cards and I'll find an excuse to use a credit card and put anything on it to hire a team, commit to a more expensive software. Like for me, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go the route of a a business credit card. I'm going to go the route of a business checking account so that I know I'm paying in cash because for me, that's easier to manage. If you're incredible with credit cards, then get a business credit card. So I use one called Bluevine. Um, it's online banking. I've had no problems with it. It's really easy to use. So I use Bluevine for my business banking. And then I track my expenses. I try to do it daily, if not weekly, because it gives me a clear view of where my money is going and how it's coming in. Get accounting software if you need to, like QuickBooks I know is really popular. I actually still to this day use Google Sheets. I've just gotten so used to it. It's really easy. It's become a habit. And I have Google Sheets literally on my bookmarks bar on my Google Chrome. So every day I just open it, quickly plug in anything that got charged that day. If anyone paid me that day, I plug it in. And I also plug in what came in after the the payment processing fee. So I use Stripe or PayPal, and they obviously take a processing fee. So if someone pays me $500, I don't put $500 on my sheet. I put what came in after the payment processing fee, which is, I don't know, maybe like $489 or something. So that's really important to me is to be very exact with my numbers. And like I said, I like to do it daily if I can, and if not, weekly. I also put about 30% aside of each payment for taxes. And the way I manage my money is with a percentage system. So this is the biggest thing that helped me start to feel more confident with managing my business expenses and just my expenses in general, like my life expenses was using a percentage system because my income is different every single month. Now it hovers around the same number and, you know, I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to make it more efficient and scale, but usually I can project at least what the minimum amount of money I'm making is for the next three months. I'm hoping to get better at that. But um, this percentage system is easy for me because it's just a percentage, right? I can't mess that up. But if I use dollars, that's harder for me because again, my income is different every month. So let me lay out an example. Let's say I made $1,000 one month. I, instead of saying, oh, I'm going to put $500 to business expenses and $500 to personal life. Well, that's not going to work well if the next month my income is $3,000 and then the next month it's $400. I mean, I really hope my income wouldn't be $400. That'd be really hard to live off of. But you know, when you're just starting out, maybe it is $400. So that's why obviously like saying 500 and 500 wouldn't work. So that's why I use percentage systems. And I set aside 30% for taxes. I'm actually in Florida and there is no state income tax. I believe that's the tax we don't have. Obviously, (laughs) do not take tax advice from me. But I overestimate the taxes I need because I don't want to get hit with a crazy tax bill and not have the money in my account. I fortunately heard horror stories of a few of my friends that are business owners that when tax season hit, they owed like $10,000, $20,000, $15,000. And I was like, okay, I am not putting myself in a position to all of a sudden out of nowhere, come up with 
10,000 or $20,000 and then get late fees and interest and get in trouble. Like that's not happening. So I say, fortunately, I heard that because it quickly like whipped me into gear to be like, you're not putting yourself in that position. So you're setting aside more than you think you need for taxes. That's actually a really good habit I've built up is as soon as someone pays me, I immediately put 30% aside into a whole different tax account. So I separated it from my business account. Then I have my percentages broken up a little further. Like let's say it's 50% for business expenses, 10% for savings, 5% for fun money, whatever you want to do. The system is supposed to work for you. And each month it changes a little bit. So depending on if my business expenses are higher or if I'm saving for something like this big remote year trip, then obviously that system is going to get changed a little bit. But for the most part, it stays the same. Let's say you overestimate your taxes and all of a sudden you have all this money left over after you pay taxes the following year, just save it. Save it for the following year so that, again, you're never behind. I like to put myself in a position with finances to not feel behind or scrambling when it comes to owing, especially the IRS money. So I am not going to just take leftover money and like blow it on something. That's my personal preference. I am not a financial expert. I'm not a tax expert. I, like I just said, use Google Sheets to track everything. So this is just the way it's worked for me. But I have, I feel like, put myself in good positions when it comes to tax season because I'm not scrambling to find the money. I've already put it aside. Now, I'm talking a lot about taxes, but this also goes for business expenses. When I can track my money and see how much I spend on my business every month, I know how much I need to bring in every month and not just cover business expenses, but be able to pay myself. So this is something I'm still actively working on. I know profit first is a really popular method a lot of entrepreneurs use, where basically they pay themselves profit first, literally, and then anything left over, they make it fit into their business expenses. I find what a lot of people do in the beginning, and which is what I'm doing and trying to get out of doing, is they cover all their business expenses first, all their taxes first, and then whatever's left over, they'll pay themselves. And when I say pay themselves or pay yourself, I'm talking about giving yourself a salary. And that's something that, like I said, I started out my business doing it the opposite way of, yeah, let me just see how much my business costs and how much I need to put aside for taxes. And then I'll give myself money after that. But that's a really hard way to live because I'll find any excuse to invest in my business. And for me, then it kind of limits me personally. Then I feel bad if I want to go get, you know, my nails done at the spa, Manny and Petty, or maybe I want to get a massage, or maybe I do want to go on like a fun girls trip. Like I should be able to have that money set aside to do that without pulling from my business expenses or cutting something or cutting back my team's hours. And that's why paying yourself a salary is so important. But it's, it's honestly, I feel like a lesson a lot of us learn later. Tracking your finances is also just such a powerful way to help shift your identity and become more of the business owner or CEO that you envision yourself to be. I think a lot of times, at least for me, I equated sales with being a great business owner because sales are what keeps the company afloat, right? Like you're, it's really hard to keep a company afloat without actual income or money. So while I do think that's a major piece, I also think you need to understand how every dollar is working for you. It's really hard to feel in control of your finances or company if you literally don't know what your business expenses are, or you don't know how much you pay people, or you don't know when you pay people, or you don't know when annual subscriptions come out of your bank account. And you're just like, oh shit, I just got charged $150 from Zoom. And I, I didn't have that money set aside. Like 
this is why tracking your finances is so powerful. Because at least for me, when I think of being someone who is wealthy or a millionaire or a savvy business owner, I don't picture them to have messy finances and poor planning and scrambling for everything. I imagine tight systems, smart cash flow. They understand profit. They understand profit and loss. They understand business expenses. So I took all of last year to really try and understand that stuff. Now, still a work in progress, still learning, but it does make me feel way more like the CEO that I envision in my head when I know my income, my expenses, my taxes, etc. Another tip that really helped me with this is actually putting on my Google Calendar when things are coming out of my business account. So for example, in March and April, I have a lot of annual subscriptions that obviously cost way more than my usual monthly ones that come out. And so I made a reminder on my calendar. So I knew, Hey, you know, you do have a bigger bill coming out next week. Just be sure to be cognizant of that and maybe be cognizant of my personal spending so that I could cover those bigger bills. Also, every smaller bill I have is on my calendar as well. My $15 Calendly payment is on there. My $10 Loom subscription is on there. So I can see on a weekly basis what money is coming out of my account because it's literally on my calendar. So that took me some time, but it was worth it because now I'm never guessing. I'm not like, whoa, what the hell is this expense? It's like, no, I knew it was coming out because it's on my calendar. And last thing I'll say about this is I made different accounts for each part of my life. So I have a tax account that is totally separate. It's on ally.com. I have a savings account that's a separate account called savings on ally.com. I have a business checking account with Bluevine. I have my Chase personal money account. My remote year account is also a very separate account. And I titled it remote year so that I know that dedicated money is going to that specific expense. That's helped me a lot. I'm someone that I'm like, I need to know where my money is going, having it float around in a bank account and just call it savings. I'm like, is it savings for health? Is it savings for travel? Is it savings for my future home? Like, I don't know. So I like to make those specific accounts and it's really helped me a lot to save my money. I've been in shock about how much money I've been able to save when I have a clear purpose for where it's going. Second thing, track goals and progress. Do not underestimate the power of baby steps. The daily progress is what adds up, and I know it's really, really hard to think of it sometimes, but I love the example from Atomic Habits that James Clear uses about bamboo. I've talked about it a lot because the visual always excites me, but it it builds its extensive root system underground for five years. Okay, that's a long time, five years, before shooting up in six weeks. That's insane, right? When you think about yourself with this visual, maybe something is taking longer than you expect. Maybe you're working on an offer and you're like, how is it taking this long? Like, I know what the offer is. I can picture it in my head and I know who I'm helping. Why is it taking forever to build the sales page and the copy and the checkout page and the graphic design? Like, maybe I shouldn't just do this. Maybe I'll just throw it away and do something else. But that is all going to add up a little bit every day. And then you're going to have this planned out, beautiful offer ready to go. And your clients are going to be ready to buy it because you took time to build it, thinking of them and how it's going to help them. I have an example from my own life, podcast planning. When I first started my podcast, there was no planning. It was just like, oh, I think I want to talk about this this week. And then hopefully I'll find a guest in three weeks and I'll interview them. And then I'll do another solo episode. And it was basically like, just record podcasts and try to get them live every week. 
Then eventually when I realized how much I like doing it and I did want to keep doing it for months and months on end and do it on a weekly basis, I knew I had to find some efficiency and really work on templates and blocking time and days that I would actually work on the podcast, creating a more robust content calendar and actually planning out each episode. So now I feel like the quality of my work is better, but this wasn't done in a week. This I've been working on my podcast for four years. This whole process of automating things and planning and templates and all that stuff was not done in one week. It wasn't even done in a month. It's honestly taken me probably six months to really figure out automation and systems. And it's taken me even longer to understand how far in advance to plan ahead and when I need to block off guests and and not book anybody because I don't want the episode to air so late after they record. There's just so much that I learned from being able to plan ahead. But again, that wasn't in a week. That wasn't even in one month. That's taken months slash years to complete. But it's finally in a place where I'm like, thank God I got to this point and the daily habits added up. Something I've started doing recently too is tracking these goals in progress, which I know isn't that crazy of a lesson, but I'm someone that was just so head down focused on the present moment that I never really took time to zoom out and look at the big picture and be like, have I actually been, you know, booking the guests that I want? Have I been making the sales that I want? Have I been on podcasts that I want to be on? Like, am I even tracking this stuff? Do I even remember what people I've pitched? Like, I used to not do this. It was very much all in my head. I have a really photographic memory. And I thought that was a project management tool. (laughs) Like, I thought my brain was a project management tool. And I was like, yeah, of course, I'll remember this. Of course, I'll remember that. But there becomes a point in your business where you're just managing too many things in totally different departments that you're not going to remember or you're not going to track it and see the progress. So now that I've taken time to build out an actual tracking sheet and look at my progress, I'm like, wow, the little things are adding up. You know, in January, when I was sending all these guest pitches and emails that I had to follow up on multiple times, they're paying off now. I'm seeing all this uptick in guest appearances because of the work I put in in January. So yeah, again, that wasn't in a week or a month. It's taken three or four months to get to this point, but it's finally happening. The bamboo is shooting up. So track your goals in progress and do not underestimate the power of baby steps. The third one, and this one is really hard to do when you're a new business owner, but it's stop Frankensteining everything for everyone. And Frankensteining is a word I I learned from my business coach, Rachel Turner, where it's basically like someone's like, hey, I would love to do your program, but I would need like a 10-month payment plan. And you're like, sure. And then someone else is like, hey, I want to do your one-on-one coaching, but I don't know that I need six months. I probably only need like two or three. And you're like, oh, cool. We'll do two and a half. And then someone's like, hey, I want to do your workshop, but I can only come for four days, not all five. Could I just pay for the four days? And you're like, yeah, sure. So you're taking all these pieces of your offer and putting it together for someone to make it work, which listen, in the beginning, sometimes you're just trying to make sales and you're like, I'm going to do it. I don't care. Like this sale would help me a lot. Having this recurring monthly revenue with someone on a 10 month payment plan is going to help me. So I'm going to do that. I think that's okay. Like you have to live and learn, but there's also a point where you can't do that because it's too hard to keep track of. And what it often leads to is overextending yourself. So then you get a little more loose with your contracts, a little more loose with your boundaries because you can't keep track of everything you offer to everybody. And I've done this before. I'll give you an example that I went through. 
So when I, I was starting my mindset coaching, I had some people that wanted to do biweekly 45 minute calls. And then I had some people that wanted to do one 90 minute call. And then I had some people that wanted to shorten their, their time together and like just basically do the six calls in three months. And then I had some people that needed to skip months because they couldn't commit to it or they were going through something. And so we would pause months. So basically I had 13 clients that were on all different timelines, all different payment plans, all different start dates. Like it was so hard to keep track of. And eventually I did overextend myself because then I felt bad because I was like, well, wait a second, you know, this person started at this time, but I went on vacation. And so I need to add a month to their package, but I had already added a month because of, you know, extra time that they wanted with me. Like it was just so much to keep track of. And it wasn't simple at all. It was so complex that my brain didn't know how to manage it. And remember, it's only been in the last three or four months where I've really started to project manage things in a software and plan things out. So this is all like in Dubsado, which is an invoicing software. Half of this was just in Dubsado or like in my head. Again, working in your head is not a business strategy. So it led to a lot of loose boundaries. I was answering Voxers on days that I usually said I didn't answer Voxers. I would answer people on the weekends because I was like, oh, well, you know, I feel bad. I shouldn't have said this, but I feel bad. So I need to overextend myself and do this. So it just turned into chaos. So that's why I say don't Frankenstein everything for anyone try to really stick to your guns when it comes to the start dates and end dates of things. Like if you want to enroll five people in a one-on-one coaching program for the Q2, then everyone has to start in April. You right? Like, so at least everyone's starting in April. Maybe everyone doesn't start the first week of April, but they start in April. That's something that you can stick to. Now, if you're like, I want to enroll five people in Q2, but someone starts in, you know, June 30th, which is the last day of, of traditional Q2. Now you're like, well, that kind of just threw the whole thing off because now I have someone starting three months later. So again, I know in the beginning you want to make everything work for everyone, but at some point you do have to kind of put your CEO hat on and be like, these are the start dates. These are the end dates. This is the time commitment. This is the price and just stick to it because then you'll lead to tighter boundaries tighter contracts, and you won't extend yourself. The fourth one, take inventory of how long it takes you to actually do things. I am very actively working on this right now, but I tend to grossly underestimate how long it takes me to do something. For example, I think it'll only take me like 20, 30 minutes to do intros and outros for the podcast because I'm like, usually they're five to 10 minutes, the intros and the outros are like barely two or three minutes. So my mind uses that math to be like, okay, maybe double it 20, 30 minutes. Well, that's never true because I end up planning out and writing out what I would like to say. I have to think of the sponsor spot. I need to think of the information that I'm providing in the beginning of like the context of the episode. And if there's any offers that I'm offering and I need to be cognizant of dates and when things close. So like I need to map that out. That takes time. Also, I never nail a recording on the first try. Even as I've recorded this episode, I've had to stop and start several times. So I know I'm going to do the same thing with my intros and outros. I'll probably record them a few times and have to edit them. That does not take 20 minutes. So I need to be realistic about this. It actually probably takes me an hour to an hour and a half to actually record intros and outros for the podcast. 
So knowing that I need to not overbook myself or commit to too much. And I need to time block and say, okay, I'm giving myself the next hour and a half to only focus on intros and outros for the podcast, not emails, not Instagram, not responding to people, just focusing on that. And this is where batching is really helpful because you can just batch time to focus on one thing and then just knock whatever that task is out. So the way you can track this is a few ways. I started using Focusmate, which you know I love. I'm not even sponsored by them. I'm just obsessed with it. It's a co-working software and you can work for 25 or 50 minute increments. And I notice it's kind of like that Parkinson's law example. If I book 50 minutes for myself, I usually take that 50 minutes to do it. So I started noticing, wow, it actually takes me 50 minutes to draft out and record this intro, not 10, like I thought in my head. So I need to be a little more careful when I'm booking things on my calendar to not overextend myself. You could also get a time tracking software. I know things like Clockify and I'm blanking on the other one. There's a lot of popular ones that people use to just time track their time. So when you start a task, set that timer and then finish it and stop it and be like, okay, that took me this amount of time. And then do that a few more times over the course of a few weeks or months. And then you can be like, okay, it looks like every time I go to record a podcast, it actually takes me like two or three hours, not one. So I know that I'm going to start blocking off Mondays, two or three hours to record the podcast. This is really, really helpful when you also start thinking of how you want to hire and who you want to hire and what softwares you need, because you could be like, well, why is it taking me two to three hours? Oh, it's the editing. Editing takes me an hour. Well, maybe I could outsource that because that hour back is time that I could be selling my offer and writing an email to my email list. Or maybe it's graphics and you're like, it takes me two hours to do graphics. Maybe I can hire a VA or a graphic designer to create templates and just be one and done. And I don't have to take two hours every week to create graphics. So taking inventory of your time is super helpful to understand not only how you need to block off your calendar, but any inefficiencies you have and then where you can hire and or maybe outsource or automate it with the software. The fifth one, take inventory of where your sales are actually coming from. I know this sounds like kind of obvious, at least to me when I read it, I'm like, yeah, like, of course, I'm going to keep track of where my sales come from. But I had this illusion that all my clients come from Instagram because I'm very active on Instagram during the day. So when I'm on Instagram, I'm usually DMing people, responding to stories, commenting on their posts, on their pictures, etc. So to me, I'm like, oh, because I'm the most active here, this is where my clients are coming from. I'm spending the most time here. I'm seeing their content more and we're talking more in the DMs. It looks like Instagram is where all my clients are coming from. However, whenever anyone fills out a form to work with me, it's usually that they found me on my podcast or they listen to me on another podcast. Those are usually the top two ways. And then they just DM'd me on Instagram, but they found me through the podcast or through my email list. A lot of my group courses, the conversions come from my emails. And I can see that because I can literally look at the email data and see who clicked it and notice that right after they clicked it, five to 10 minutes later, they completed a purchase. So knowing that information, now I know, okay, podcasts and emails are probably where I should focus. And like I always say, I like writing and speaking more. So that kind of makes sense, right? That my podcasts and emails are getting the most conversions because for me, those are my strong suits. But also 
there's more nuance in my opinion, in podcasts and emails, you can write more, you can speak more and you can be more direct and they work very similarly. And when you post them on a specific time and day, whoever listens or reads your content is going to get it on that specific time and day. So that made me realize maybe I don't need to be spending three hours a day on Instagram, creating graphics, posting reels, coming up with witty captions, posting stories, responding to stories, linking everything. Like maybe I don't need to put that much time in there and I need to put more time into planning quality podcasts and quality emails because that's where the conversions are actually coming from. If you're like, I don't know how to find that information. I don't know how to take inventory of where these sales are coming from. You can either A, look at your data. Like if you have an email list, go into your data dashboard, check your emails, see who's clicking what. And if that person that clicked is a current client of yours, most likely they converted from your email. You can also just straight up ask people, send out a Google form or a type form or a survey and see, you know, straight up ask people, Hey, I'm doing some business research. I would love to know where you initially found me and invested in my work. And then provide them options. Was it email? Was it my podcast? Was it Facebook? Was it Instagram, et cetera. Also in your applications, if you have an application to work with you, you can include this as a section. A lot of businesses do this, right? They'll be like, how did you find me? Referral, Google, poster. You can do that for your own business. And that's how I found out a lot of people that work with me one-on-one were finding me from my podcast or being on another podcast, which made me double down on podcasting. And then another really informal way is an Instagram vote. It's not really accurate or reliable because obviously we know how algorithms work, that not everyone is going to see your content. There might be a client that you have that does not see that Instagram story or that post and they won't vote. So again, it's not like the most accurate data on earth, but it does give you a high level picture. And maybe you just post a poll or a quiz style type of post that's like, hey, I'm just trying to do business research. Where did you initially find me or invest in my work? and then see where the majority votes are coming from. And now you know, oh, wow, everyone's actually converting from my emails. Maybe I need to spend more time crafting quality emails and maybe I can take a pause on TikTok or I can just wait till I actually want to post and not put so much energy there. So this has helped me not only manage my energy better, but understand where to put my efforts and my focus and what I can outsource and kind of put on the back burner. The sixth one, if something isn't working, ask yourself why ask someone else why, and then look at it from a different point of view. So I'm going to use my podcast coaching as an example. When I first opened my one-on-one podcast coaching, it was actually like in early March, maybe even end of February. And all I kept saying was like, podcast coaching is open. Doors are open. Podcast coaching is open. Here's when enrollment closes. Doors are open. Like that's not really saying a lot about what podcast coaching is or what to expect when working with me. So I remember feeling a little defeated and burnt out in March because I was like, wow, I guess no one wants to work with me. I guess like podcast coaching isn't as popular as I thought. Maybe people don't need this service and, you know, having a little pity party for myself. And then I realized, and this is where like observation becomes really helpful too. Well, what makes me want to invest in someone? And I remembered when I invested in my coach for 12 months, which is a very long time and a very high financial commitment. I remember I wanted to work with her because she was giving away so much tactical and strategical information on her Instagram page of like, here's how I would plan out your offers. Here's how to launch if you have high and low energy. Like here's an actual template to use. And I was like, oh, she's showing us how to do things and how she helps her clients. Let me shift this around 
because the way I'm doing it isn't working, right? Talking about how podcast coaching is open or being like, oh, podcasting is amazing. Everyone should start a podcast. That's not really working. I need to show people what I do inside my coaching. So then I started posting about actual interview tips, real tips that I give my clients and I apply myself. I started talking about SEO more. I started talking about content planning. And what do you know? People started inquiring more. I booked two clients in one week. My VIP day sold. I was like, oh, okay. So all I had to do was switch things around. It's not like people didn't want or need podcast coaching or that I'm a bad podcast coach. I just wasn't really explaining it in the right way. And I had to flip how I was talking about it. And then things changed. Now, you could also ask someone else this. I think a lot of times we're scared to ask people because we're like, oh, are they going to think this is stupid? Or like, am I going to be ready for their feedback? And sometimes though, that feedback is what you need to be able to open the doors to bringing people into your work. So for example, me saying like, doors are open, doors are open, podcasting is great. That wasn't working. And when my coach looked at it, she was like, hmm, yeah, I think you're also not even like talking about it that much. And I was like, in my mind, you know, I do this every day. I identify as a podcast coach. I, in my mind, I thought I was talking about it, but when you looked at my feed, I maybe talked about it twice in a month. And I'm like, oh, I guess, yeah, based on the algorithm and the fact that I've only posted twice in a month and I actually post like three to five times a week. Yeah. It kind of does make sense why I wasn't getting this rush of people trying to work with me. They probably didn't even know it was still open or still happening because I barely talked about it, but I wouldn't know that information unless I asked for help. So if you don't have, if you don't have a coach or you don't, you're not like in a membership or in a program right now, just ask a friend, be like, Hey, I'm working on this sales page or I'm working on this specific offer. Can you just read through it and see what you think is either missing or unclear, or is there anything I could add to it? And usually people will be like, yeah, sure. And, and just quickly skim over it and give you some feedback. And it really could be the smallest tweak that ends up working out. I remember when my coach gave me that feedback, I was like, great. I'm going to have to post like 30 times over the month of April. I'm going to have to do like 20 reels, a hundred graphics. Like my mind just goes into overproduction. When in reality, if you look at what I've posted in the last two weeks, it's been like three or four reels, a post or two and a few stories. And I'm like, wow, that brought in me, that brought in three new clients just from that small tweak. So again, if something's not working, ask yourself, ask someone else, and then look at it from a different point of view. I have two more points. And the seventh one is not everyone consumes things the way you do. Here's an example, video testimonials. I personally never really watch these. So when I finish my work with someone, I never really asked for these because I was like, who watches them? Like, I don't watch them. People don't watch them. So why would I ask for them? And then my VA pointed out to me like, well, not everyone consumes content the way you do which I think is obvious, right? Like we know people don't consume content the way we do, but we really identify a lot with our clients and we're like, well, our clients are probably doing things very similarly to me and that's why we work together. And that's, you know, I'm assuming that she would probably think the same way I do. If she wants to start a podcast, she probably listens. And like, we just make all these assumptions about people. And so I never really pushed for video testimonials because I was like, oh, who's actually gonna watch them? Then eventually when my VA pointed out, you know, that's actually helped me enroll in programs before. And then I actually did think about one time I almost enrolled in this four month program because of all the video testimonials. I realized, okay, yeah, maybe you're right. I should ask for video testimonials. So now it's something at the end of my work with clients, I send a form for testimonials and I ask them, would they mind 
recording a short video. It's not required or anything, right? They don't have to, but I do appreciate the video testimonial. And hot tip, if you want someone to record something for you because it's a little more work than writing something for you, you could incentivize them with something. Maybe a Starbucks gift card, maybe a freebie of yours that's not public yet, maybe a 20% discount on your next service, just something as a thank you for recording that video testimonial for you. Now, I'm talking a lot about video testimonials, but this could be for anything, right? If you're focusing all your content on creating graphics, but your client is not on Instagram, well, you can see a missed opportunity there. Maybe you need to be writing an email. Maybe you need to be recording a podcast. Maybe you need to be recording videos for YouTube. Now, I definitely do not think you should be on every platform. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not like, oh, become a reader, writer, TikToker, Instagrammer. No, no, no. I think you should just pay attention to how your clients consume things and what converts and then optimize the way you do things for that. So again, I now know a lot of people convert from my email list or from my podcast. So I'm putting a lot more energy there than I am on social media. And last one that I think people have a lot of differing views on is your free content doesn't need to be like so high level, 10% of the whole picture or gate kept. For example, the other day on Instagram, I did a tip on making your podcast titles more specific because that helps listeners actually understand what they're about to listen to. And so it's easier for them to hit play versus keeping it like very vague and high level. We want to know what we're going to listen to, especially if we're committing, you know, 30 minutes plus to listening to something we want to know. So that tip is an actual tip that I give to my clients. I teach my private clients that my private clients pay me thousands of dollars. So you're probably thinking, maybe not you specifically, but someone is thinking, so why are you giving that tip away for free? Like if someone's paying you thousands of dollars for that tip, why are you teaching it for free on Instagram for anybody to consume? Well, I know that snippet of information is not the same as fully comprehending it or knowing how to use it and apply it. That's what coaching is. That's where working together one-on-one is starting to understand how to master that skill. So maybe someone did learn how to make their titles more specific, but they actually don't know a lot about SEO or the tools to deepen their content strategy or the tools for SEO or the world of metadata and backlinks and relevancy and rankings and indexing and all these other things that come with SEO. Because actually what that tip was, was a quick SEO tip. So again, I gave away that information for free because I know that would help someone. So maybe someone did take that tip and they mastered that skill and they've been making their titles more specific and their podcast listeners are growing. They're getting more feedback. They're getting more ratings. Well, that's great. I'm not like, oh, could have turned into a client. Can't believe I gave that away for free because A, they're going to remember me as the resource and recommend me to other people. And B, I don't want to be known as someone that's like a gatekeeper of information of like the only way you're going to get this content is by paying me. That's not helpful. That's not accessible. That's really like guru status being like, I'm up here and you're down here. That's not the energy I ever want to give off. So not only do I not want to give off that energy, I'm trying to help people. So if I want to help people become better podcasters, I can't say I want to help people, but then not help people unless they're going to pay me for a six month coaching package. That's at least my philosophy. And again, if they did go apply it, well, then great. They just became a better podcaster and they're going to remember me as the resource and hopefully recommend me to other people and say, yeah, I learned this from Chelsea. 
I think another example of this to take it out of like a coaching context is influencers. For example, Lauren Bostick from The Skinny Confidential, she was actually on my podcast, like episode 14. She was a much bigger, quote unquote, influencer or person in the social sphere than I was when I had her on my podcast. She had like hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers. I had like barely a thousand. My podcast wasn't even close to what it was. Like I said, she was on the first, one of the first 20 episodes. So she didn't have to do that. She could have been like, um, no, I'm only going to come on podcasts with 50,000 plus downloads, people that have been in the game for years and years and years. But her whole philosophy was like elevating women and bringing them up. So she's like, sure, I'll come on your podcast. And she even promoted it when, when the episode was over. So from that relationship built of her just being generous with her time, I always invested into her content. And this is what she's done for a lot of people. She's an influencer and constantly gives away information for free on her podcast and on her Instagram. Wellness tips, beauty hacks, productivity tips, productivity tools, business tips. Like she gives away so much for free that when she launches something, people are like, oh, of course I'm going to support her because I trust her. And she's given us so much already. I'm happy to give back to her. So this did happen when she launched a product, the ice roller, people ate it up. It always sells out and people aren't like, oh, well, she already taught me about ice rolling and I already have an ice roller and I can just figure this out myself. They remembered her as this massive resource of beauty tips for the last however many years and supported her and trusted her from all the knowledge she dropped on her podcasts and Instagram and emails throughout the years. So you could argue she gave away everything for free. And then when she launched a product, it sells out. So this idea that you have to hold all your best tips and tricks and ideas to yourself until people pay you is actually a quite scarcity mindset because you're thinking, if I give this away, I'm not going to be able to bring in clients or leads or build a community or whatever the case is, right? And so when you can flip that model and say, I'm so abundant, I'm happy to give away this information for free, that's an abundant mindset. And you understand people are actually remembering that. They're going to remember you as that resource or that source of inspiration or that knowledge. They're going to remember that came from you. And again, giving someone a snippet of information is not the same as fully comprehending it and applying it. So I know I struggled with this in the beginning, but it's something that I've slowly tested and experimented with over time. And if I go back to the example about two examples ago about changing how I do something, the moment I was more specific with how I helped people, the more clients came into me which is really interesting, right? Before I was being very vague, like podcast coaching is open and it's amazing. Podcasting is great. That wasn't specific. And so people weren't interested. And I was like, well, they're going to have to pay me to find out that strategy did not work. When I started opening up and giving very specific information that worked. And now not only do I have new clients, but I know people that either are not ready to work with me or don't have the financials to work with me or just not the time, they're still learning. And when it's time to work with me, they'll come to me because of the information I gave out. Hopefully, right? At least that's my hope. I know there's a lot of information, but I'm curious to hear what point resonated with you most or which one do you feel like you're doing right now? And again, similar to what I said two weeks ago, don't beat yourself up. A lot of these things I am actively working on adjusting right now. And I've been in business for just under two years, my actual two year anniversary is in May, but it's taken me a very long time to get get to a lot of these points. And I know I'm going to continue to only get better and better. But the point is that I started it, I failed fast and I fixed things fast. And that's now how I've been able to, you know, actually record this episode and share some of these insights with you. 
So don't beat yourself up. We're all works in progress. Everyone is always figuring things out. We're all trying to find our footing. Entrepreneurship is really hard. So give yourself some grace and just pat yourself on the back that you're even in the game. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. And don't forget, if you leave a review this month, you'll be entered into a giveaway to win a variety pack of Curious Elixirs. They're the booze-free cocktails that I'm obsessed with. I love the number one. It's like smooth. It's good for a Friday night when you don't want to go out. Maybe you could bring it to a friend's house. It's just like, it's actually good for you too with all the ingredients. So it helps me unwind. It helps me de-stress. You can win a whole variety pack and try every single flavor just by leaving a review. Again, I will pull a winner at the end of the month. So screenshot your review, send it to Chelsea Rife on Instagram or info at chelsearife.com and email. And I'll pull a winner at the end of the month and let you know if you won. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week.